0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. You know, this is our 33rd episode, and it seems like we're just getting started. Our hope is that after listening to this podcast, you'll have a new view of yourself, your business, and your way forward in life. You know, the other day I was listening to a podcast that had five interruptions for advertising. Now, we don't have ads. This podcast is not about making money, it's about sharing. Sharing new ideas and perspective, and it's our gift to you. So I hope today as you listen, you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next podcast as it's released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the propensity to hope. On June 23rd, a 16 year old young man named Knight Zombie and Jay was planning to celebrate his birthday. His family had prepared a birthday cake and they were waiting for his return home to celebrate. But Knight was out with his friends and other members of his soccer team, the Wild Boars. They were on bikes, riding in the rain, and headed to the Tam Luang Cave, a favorite haunt for the boys who loved to explore the nooks and crannies of the caves in the local mountains. In English, Tom Luang means the Great Cave. At the entrance to the Great Cave, they stashed their bikes and bags. The team and their young coach had often ventured deep into the cave, sometimes as far as eight kilometers, for initiation rites, where they would write the names of new team members on a cave wall in high spirits they clambered into the cave with just their lights i mean they didn't need much else after all they were only planning to be there for an hour but unbeknownst to them they would not emerge from the cave until two weeks later snaking for about 10 kilometers underneath the mountain range the great cave is the fourth biggest cave system in thailand And to travel the cave requires that you squirm through narrow tunnels barely wide enough to fit a person. And once monsoon season starts in July, the cave goes from innocuous to extremely dangerous. The cave can flood up to 16 feet during the rainy season as the water seeps from the mountain surface downward through the cave's ceilings and walls. Well, back at night's home, his family began to worry when the boys didn't return. His birthday cake sat untouched. Where were the wild boars? When the parents began to worry, they headed straight to the cave. They found the bikes, the bags, and some football shoes outside, and they raised the alarm. Well, deep in the cave, the wild boars found themselves in trouble. It had been raining for the last few days, and all the water falling on the mountain had to go somewhere, and that somewhere was the cave below which was fast, filling up with muddy water. The boys were almost three kilometers into the cave when a flash flood hit, and they turned to go out the way they came in, but the water had risen to the ceiling. So they had no choice but to scramble even deeper into the cave, seeking higher ground. They eventually found themselves marooned on a small rocky shelf about four kilometers from the entrance. Swallowed up by the flood and surrounded by darkness, the boys and the coach lost all sense of time. And as the water continued to rise, they realized they might not survive. The team used rocks to dig five meters deeper into the shelf, creating a bit of a cavern where they could huddle together and keep warm. And the coach told told them to lie still to conserve their strength. They had no food. It was pitch black and they were miserably wet and cold. But they did have a supply of drinking water in the form of moisture dripping from the cave walls, and they had each other. They would sit in the cold and darkness day after day. They had no idea if help was coming. While they waited, their coach taught them to meditate, and he talked to them about holding on to hope. Now, I don't know about you, but if you asked me to sit for days in the darkness, cold and wet, without food, and without the certainty of rescue, I would say, I can't do that. It's impossible. And while not buried in a cave, I think we all get buried, stuck from time to time, whether by our own poor judgment or by factors completely beyond our control. And sometimes we're in the dark and unable to move, so to speak. And it's at these times in our life when we must do hard things, things we didn't think we could do. And at these times, we must have the propensity to hope. Well, outside the cave, a full-blown rescue operation was quickly unfolding. The authorities called in Navy SEALs, the National Police, and other rescue teams. The wild boars were somewhere in the cave, but where exactly? And more importantly, how could the rescuers get to them? Now, exploring the cave was a huge challenge. You see, the water was muddy, and once a diver entered the cave, he had to feel, not see, his way along. It was easy for the divers to take a wrong turn and risked drowning themselves. Engineers desperately tried to pump water out of the cave, but the continued rainfall hampered their progress. They even tried drilling into the mountainside, desperate to find cracks into the cave system, which they could squeeze into. And they used drones with thermal sensors to try and locate the boys. All to no success. The first international rescuers arrived a week later, and these were U.S. Air Force rescue specialists and cave divers from other countries. Eight days into the search, two UK divers finally reached the place where they thought the boys might be, pataya Beach, but there was nothing. They continued on into the darkness, and then, a few hundred meters further, they found an air pocket. Wherever there is an air pocket, we surface, we shout, we smell, the divers said. It's a standard procedure for such rescue operations. We smelled the children before we saw or heard them. Soon, the light in their headlamp illuminated figures in the darkness, and the boys emerged from their perch and were moving towards them. The divers tried to boost the boys' morale while realizing they had barely gotten to the boys themselves. How were they going to get these 13 boys out of the cave? Some of the boys couldn't even swim, and none of them were trained divers. It seemed impossible to bring them out through the winding, flooded four kilometer stretch. Of tunnels. The trip out took expert divers over five hours. How would they get the boys out before those boys ran out of oxygen? Plus, heavy rains were forecasted to resume in three days. Well, the divers started routine runs to take air tanks and food to the boys. And on day 11, a diver delivered his assigned air tanks to the boys, but ran out of air when he became lost in the caverns on his return trip. He died. He was only 38 years old. Time was running out. So the next day, the divers announced they had to pull the boys out no matter what the risk. So they ferried supplies to the boys. Each boy was given a full-face air mask and a diver assigned to them personally. And the air cylinders were strapped to their stomachs to keep the equipment from getting snagged. You see, in the narrowest sections of the cave, divers and boys had to unstrap their tanks to fit through the openings. Most of all, the boys were weak and near death themselves. But somehow, over the course of two days, they moved each boy to a point in the great cave with lower water levels, and then each boy was placed on a stretcher of sorts, hooked to ropes and pulleys, and the boys were pulled out of the cave. After two agonizing weeks in isolation, the soccer team and their coach were finally out of the cave and safe. And Knight eventually did have his birthday party. Now, when they were asked how they could have possibly lasted for two weeks in the dark without food and wondering if anyone would find them, they said we had each other and we had hope. After the experience, we all had the propensity to hope. Now, not to their extent. We all face storms and darkness and are lost in isolation from time to time. Sometimes we lose, fail, regress, and it's in those times that we're unsure whether we can, in fact, do what we're being asked to do. At those times when we feel most alone, we have something to help us along. Hope. Hope is a passion for what is possible. When things around you say, give up, hope always remains. There are those around us who just have a propensity to hope. Now, the definition of propensity is an established pattern or behavior, or an attraction to a thing. It means apt, prone, tendency to do, pattern, or habit. You know people who just have the propensity to hope, and these people live different than most. And here's my question. Are you a person of hope? What's your propensity? Not long ago, I was speaking to the chairman of our company board of directors, And I was talking about the challenges with inflation and staffing, and after I lamented for a few minutes, she said, you know, I believe things are going to get better. I have hope. And this left me thinking, do people who have hope live differently? Do they make better decisions, and are they generally more happy? What about you? You know, in Greek mythology, Pandora was the first human woman created by the gods, and Zeus ordered her to be molded from the earth as a punishment for Prometheus stealing the secret of fire. Now, according to the myth, the gods gave her a jar that contained all the afflictions of man and told her not to open it. Nonetheless, Pandora opened the jar, releasing the evils that visit humans like pain, suffering, disease, plagues, affliction, etc. And the only thing left in the jar that was not released Was hope. It stayed inside the jar. Now, one version of the story says only hope remained there under the rim of the great jar, and it did not fly out the door, for the lid of the jar stopped her by the will of Zeus. Now, over the years, scholars have hypothesized why hope was left in the jar. Was hope held as a punishment, meaning we would never have access to hope? Or was hope held back for a purpose? so that it always existed well here's what i think we always have hope and when we have hope we have more than we think hope is more than wishing hope is more than optimism it is knowing it's believing that a good outcome is coming our way even though we can't see it right now it strengthens is confidence and it's full of faith in other words It is a confident expectation that you, your circumstances, your strength will improve. On a spring night at 6.30 p.m., my friend Chad was on his way home from his landscaping job, and he needed to make a quick stop at his ranch to feed the elk. Now, Chad and his family raised elk, like one would raise cattle, to sell for feed. Now, Chad jumped out of the truck and onto his tractor, The old tractor was a bit lopsided with hydraulic arms and forks on the front, which caused the tractor to bounce and move a bit unnaturally. Chad drove his tractor to the haystack, and he was going to unload a large bale of hay, and the hay was bundled and stacked in monster bales. These are one-ton bales of hay that require a forklift to stack them and move them. As Chad approached the stack of hay, he raised the forks on the front of the tractor to their highest position, well above his head, and lifted the top bale off the haystack. As he manipulated the controls to lift the monster bale clear, the greasy black hydraulic hoses had a spasm, and the forks fell and the hay landed back on the stack. Immediately, Chad knew the tractor was low on hydraulic fluid. But He didn't want to take the time that night to grab a can of fluid for the tractor. So he tried again, this time yanking the control lever. When he did, the huge bale of hay lurched upwards and broke free of the forks and rolled downwards towards Chad. The tractor did not have a cab cover. It was open and Chad soon realized that the one ton bale of hay was going to land directly on him. He ducked forward, and the bale of hay crushed him, slamming his face into the control panel. Immediately, he knew something was wrong. He lost feeling in his feet, legs, and hands, and the giant bale of hay was pressing him against the dash so hard he couldn't breathe. Soon, he slipped into unconsciousness. As he sat there in the darkness, pinned under the 2,000 pounds of hay, he couldn't do anything for himself. He could barely breathe, and when he tried to move, nothing worked. And for the first time in his life, he could do nothing for himself. After some time, his wife drove up. She screamed his name and then raced away to call for help. As the police officers arrived, they realized they needed help to move the immense weight pressing on Chad. He whispered to them to cut the strings that held the bale of hay together. And finally, after what seemed an eternity, the bail was moved and Chad was taken to the hospital. At the hospital, Chad would learn the damage to his spine was extensive. Three vertebrae, C3, 4, and 5, were fractured. He would be a quadriplegic, lose the use of his legs and all his stomach muscles, two of the major muscles in his chest, and his hands and fingers. He said after his family left the hospital room, Darkness rolled into my soul as evening fog rolls into a darkening valley. I gave into tears. I was hurt and bewildered. My soul was in anguish. And on top of it all, I was humiliated because I just couldn't stop crying. He knew there were things he would never do again, like walk, dance, run, and many other things. But through the mentoring of several friends, his father and wife and God, Chad began to hope, to hope that he could rise from his circumstances, to hope that there were things he would now do that he might not ever have done, save it be for his accident. And for months, all he had was hope. For a while, there was little else, but hope sustained him. Chad would improve. He would learn to control his breathing, eat on his own, and begin to function without the use of his limbs. And he is a remarkable man. Today, he runs his own business, is an amazing trainer and speaker, and an example to me and others. In his life now, he has the propensity to hope. Chad says, don't give in to your deprivations, live up to your expectations. And the truth is that we're all paralyzed in one way or another. No one is immune. We all have dark times. And in those dark times, we think of the nevers you know, will never be good enough or perfect enough, never thin enough, never strong enough, smart enough or certain enough. But I've learned there is an antidote to never thinking, and the antidote is hope. You know, I used to begin my training sessions by asking people to put their hand over their heart or find their pulse on their neck. Then I would ask them to be still for a matter of seconds, and then I asked them what they felt. And then I told them what they feel is that they are alive with potential. It's amazing what rush of realization and sense of purpose you have when you listen to hope speak to you, to tell you you're alive with potential, and that while you may be in a storm, there are sunny days, amazing days ahead, because you are extraordinary. And every day in your family and on your team, ordinary people like you do extraordinary things. You were not made to, or put here by your creator to just get by or to wait until it's convenient. You have within you the DNA to make your life fabulous and remarkable. I believe that. You have the hope of heaven as your power. You weren't placed here to peek into your future, but to open the door wide and walk through with confidence. I believe you've been put in the circumstances in which you've been placed for a reason, for a purpose. And I'm confident and have great hope that you will become who you are meant to become. Hope is the belief that circumstances will get better. It's not a wish for things to get better. It's the actual belief, the knowledge that it will happen. It's the steadfast determination of the cancer patient who fights believing that eventually a cure will come. It's the person who's lost their job and has a family to support and knows that new employment is just around the corner as long as they keep looking. So when you're down and discouraged, how do you find hope? Well, here we are in the midst of COVID-19 and inflation and supply shortages and the threat of a worsening economy and social disagreements and a host of other worries. How do we find hope? Well, I believe that economies will come around and that science can find a way and that people are resilient and the supplies will eventually return. I have hope that I can do my part to make my life better in my local environment. Go ahead and hope. Hope that your children will come around. Hope that you can reach your goal. Hope that your business, while a bit flat today, will grow tomorrow. Hope that you will find the help you need. You know, not long ago, Kevin Worthen told the story of an early 19th century English artist, George Frederick Watts, who painted a painting entitled, Hope. He said, many artists have created works of art and named them Hope. Many of these paintings and other works of art show beautiful women or other lively depictions, but Watts painted something entirely different. In the painting, Hope, a forlorn woman sitting on a globe, with bandaged eyes, playing on a harp, which had all the strings broken, but one. And from the one remaining string, she's trying to get all the music possible, listening with all her might to the little sound. Her dress is tattered. She appears to be exhausted and worn out. It seems as though she's barely holding on. Yet, she is holding on, trying her best to get music from what she has left, one single string. Of hope. One of the painter's biographers wrote of how his painting had impacted people. That biographer said A poor girl, character broken and heartbroken, was wandering about the streets of London with a growing feeling that nothing good remained in her life. She saw a photograph of this picture of hope in a shop window, and she recognized at once its message. When she had saved a few coppers, she bought the photograph. And looking at it every day, the message sank into her soul, and she fought her way back to a life of purity and honor. In these early years of the 20th century, prints of this painting circulated widely. President Theodore Roosevelt displayed a copy at his home in New York. Decades later, Martin Luther King referred to the painting in his Shattered Dreams speech. No matter what is lost, there is hope. There is always hope. And what I've learned is that hope is a choice. When my children have wandered, when I have failed, when sickness came into our family, when I've been laid off as a young manager with a young family, I've learned that hope is a choice. We can choose the hopeful path. I've learned that not everything will go as planned, and that's okay. In fact, not getting what I want is often a good thing, since there's often something greater on the horizon to fill its place. As Steve Maraboli said, Every time I thought I was being rejected from something good, I was actually being redirected to something better. What's fascinating is the research on hope. It's impressive. Research published last year in Forbes magazine shows that hopeful salespeople reach their quotas more often. Hopeful mortgage brokers process and close more loans, and hopeful managing executives have a higher rate of meeting their quarterly goals. It isn't that far-fetched. Think about it. If you're a salesperson with hope, you follow up more. You have a more optimistic outlook. You're more apt to relate to others and seek a positive outcome. The Journal of Positive Psychology reports that people with hope in the workplace have 14% more productivity. This one factor, hope, played a larger role in productivity than intelligence or other factors that they tested. Not convinced? To all you sports fans out there, how about this? In two separate studies conducted by the same researchers, female athletes were given a test to assess their traits. And then they were tracked and measured as to their athletic performance. In the end, the trait hope predicted their outcomes more than any other trait. In fact, elite athletes score exceptionally high on psychological measures of hope indicating that raw talent, grit, or even optimism without hope is insufficient when pursuing difficult goals. The same results were found in predicting the grades of students. Hope and the propensity to hope matters. Now, other research shows that individuals who have significant levels of hope are more physically healthy and less susceptible to disease. They have healthier relationships. Individuals with high hope set loftier goals and are more likely to reach them. So how do you acquire the trait of being hopeful? Well, first and most important is to change your ticker. If you've ever seen news footage of a trading floor, you'll see the large signs used by stock market traders to keep track of stock prices. These modern stock tickers are exactly as they're portrayed in the movies, big electronic LED screens that display rolling market data in real time. A smaller version of these are often displayed on the bottom of the screen during news coverage on TV. This same ticker tends to roll along in our lives each day in front of our eyes on our belief window. It's just like a ticker. And it says things like can or can't or able or unable And the ticker posts our thoughts about ourselves. And often our mental ticker scrolls negativity. The simple way to fix this ticker is to stop it from ticking. Pause the scroll. Then notice little signs of hope in your life and put them on your ticker. Try to notice everything you love, the sunrise, delicious food, a friend who's amazing, or how accomplished you feel after a tough workout. You may even surprise yourself With all the things you love about life, if you just tune in to the good things scrolling by on your ticker of hope, you've likely heard the saying, be careful what you choose, you may get it. And that is true of hope. When you choose hope, that's what you get. And here's the deal. Sometimes our ticker gets filled with the thoughts and attitudes of people around us. And oftentimes other people's posts on our ticker are negative. We soon learn that hope sometimes has to stand alone, and that's okay. When others around you have a lack of hope, stand alone. Remember, you can't make someone else's choices, and you shouldn't let them make yours. Because naysayers are everywhere, and being part of the crowd of negativity is like the easiest thing to do, right? They may even be justified in their negativity, but you're busy doing something else, having hope. Pursuing your dreams and trying to be something more noble than one of the crowd. You know, the late Colin Powell was a person I admired, and he had 13 rules that he lived by. Rule number 13 was this perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Now, in military science, a force multiplier is a factor or a weapon that gives you the ability to accomplish greater feats than without it. Hope is a force multiplier. Now, Powell tells a simple story. He said, late one winter's night in Korea, after a very tough week of field training, his battalion of 500 soldiers was waiting for trucks to take them back to the barracks at Camp Casey, 20 miles away. Word came down that they had a fuel shortage and no trucks were coming. That meant they had to march back at night. Now, the troops were exhausted, and there was lots of grumbling about headquarters. He said that a captain came up to him with a thought. Their battalion had an outstanding training requirement to complete a 12-mile timed march. The march was planned for a later date in their training schedule, but this would be an opportunity to get it done. The captain said, let's pick up the pace and go for it. Well, Powell was hesitant. He had already pushed his troops too hard, But the optimistic nature of the captain pushed Powell through his hesitation, and he agreed. You know these kids, Powell answered. Well, the captain responded, They're tough as heck and will do anything we ask of them. They can do it. Powell said, at one point in the 12-mile timed march, they paused, and he wondered if he could keep up with the young kids. But he did. Towards the end of the last mile, the 500 men started singing in cadence. He said the spirit of the moment showered him with emotion. As they marched into camp in the middle of the night, he was just proud of them, of the captain and of himself for letting hope make the decision. Imagine if Powell had not given into the hope and optimism of his captain. Instead of running to meet their timed march, they would have walked home and it would have been a miserable march and night for all involved. Instead, it was spirit-filled and memorable. After reading this simple story, it's always stuck with me from time to time I reflect on it. We have a choice to choose hope. And when we do, our march in life becomes spirit-filled and memorable. So as we end today, remember, when you're stuck in life or feel more in the darkness of things, hold on to hope. Hope has the power to brighten our life. Do you have the propensity to hope? I hope so. And while Pandora may be busy in the world doling out her plagues and sickness, hope remains. Hope in your life will bring happiness. Hope in your business will bring results. And hope in your thinking will help you to live the life you want to live. There is always hope. So change your ticker. Let the good things of life scroll across your belief window. And as Colin Powell taught, There is a spirit, a better way of living when you let hope make your decisions. I hope these podcasts give you a little more hope in life. They are a gift from all of us here to you in hopes that we can become better together. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.